Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grimm tale. My name is Matthew Hughes, and with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading. Godfather Death. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a Grim Reading. poor man had twelve children, and was forced to work night and day to provide them even with bread. When, therefore, the thirteenth came into the world, wow. he knew not what to do in his trouble, but ran out into the great highway, and resolved to ask the first person whom he met to be godfather. So, so is this, this the same great highway we had last time? It's another great highway. They've obviously a, built a great road. Great highway. Since we lost. Yeah. <laughs> since Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. <laughs> Transport network has really gone up. A yeah, lot. it's good. It's good to see. Well, it's a very good highway because the first person he meets on the highway was the good God. Oh wow! Who already knew what troubled him and said, "Poor man, I pity you. I will hold your child at its christening and will take charge of it and make it happy on earth." The man said, "Who are you?" <laughs> "I am God." Hmm. Then I do not desire to have you for a godfather," said the man. "You give to the rich and leave the poor to hunger." Thus spoke the man, for he did not know how wisely God apportions riches and poverty, and turned therefore away from the Lord, and went farther. Then the devil came to him, and said, What do you seek? If you will take me as a godfather for your child, I will give him gold in plenty, and all the joys in the world as well. The man asked, Who are you? (coughs) I am the devil. Hmm. Then I do not desire you for godfather, said the man. You deceive men and lead them astray. He went onwards, and then came death, striding up to him with withered legs. (laughs) (laughs) I said... Can you stride with withered legs? It's not easy, but death's pulling it off. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Take me as godfather. The man asked, who are you? (laughs) I am death. I make all equal. Then said the man, you are the right one. You take the rich as well as the poor without distinction. You shall be godfather. Death answered, I will make your child rich and famous, for he who has me for a friend can lack nothing. And the man said, Next Sunday is the christening. Be there at the right time. (laughs) (laughs) RSVP. I don't care who you are. Just be there on time. Yeah. Enough with your chatter. And death appeared as he had promised and stood godfather quite in the usual way. So he did a great job on the day. Good old death. When the boy had grown up, so we're jumping forward here. Okay. His godfather one day appeared and bade him go with him. He led him forth into a forest and showed him a herb which grew there and said, Now you shall receive your godfather's present. I make you a celebrated physician. When you are called to a patient, I will always appear to you. If I stand by the head of the sick man, you may say with confidence that you will make him well again. And if you give him this herb, he will recover. But if I stand by the patient's feet, he is mine. And you must say that all remedies are in vain, and that no physician in the world could save him. But beware of using the herb against my will, or it might fare badly for you. So he's got a magic herb. So, Guy has spurned God and the devil, and went with death as the godfather? Yeah. Because he's, uh, he's a... He's fair. He's he's like even-handed. But it sounds like he's struck a little deal with the... 
bloke. Yeah, he just says, as your godfather, I give you this gift. I'm going to make you a celebrated physician. If you see me standing at his head or her head, they will survive. Give them the herb and they'll be better. If I'm standing at the feet, don't give them the herb. And, and it's mine. just a barometer of whether they're going to live or die. Yeah. Anyway, okay. It was not long before the youth was the most famous physician in the whole world. Oh, wow. I mean, I think you need a little bit more than that to be a physician. But, I you would know. say so. And like, how far is this news traveling like, around the world? Well, you know what? People said of him, he had only to look at the patient and he knew his condition at once. And if he would recover or must die. From far and wide, people came to him, sent for him when they had anyone ill and gave him so much money that he soon became a rich man. Now, it so happened that the king became ill and the physician was summoned and was to say if recovery were possible. But when he came to the bed, death was standing by the feet of the sick man. I thought as much. Mm. And the herb did not grow which could save him. If I could cheat death but once, thought the physician. He's sure to be angry, but as I am his godson, he may shut one eye. I will risk it. He therefore took up the sick man and laid him the other way, so that now death was standing by his head. Oh, that's a loophole and a half, isn't it? Then he gave the king some of the herb, and he recovered and grew healthy again. But death came to the physician, looking very black and angry, and threatened him with his finger, and said, (laughs) You have overreached me. This time I will pardon it, as you are my godson. But if you venture it again, it will cost you your neck, for I will take you away with me. (gasps) Soon afterwards, the king's daughter fell into a severe illness. She was his only child, and he wept day and night, so that he began to lose the sight of his eyes. Just from crying? Yeah. My word, that is a lot of crying. And he made it known that whoever rescued her from death should be her husband and inherit the crown. When the physician came to the sick girl's bed, he saw death by her feet. So she's not going to make it. Now, he ought to have remembered the warning given by his godfather, but he was so infatuated by the great beauty of the king's daughter Mm. and the happiness of becoming her husband that he flung all thought to the winds. He did not see that death was casting angry glances on him. <laughs> angry glances. And that he was <laughs> What's an angry glance? He's giving him the evil. <laughs> but only for a second. And he was raising his hand in the air and threatening him with his withered fist. <laughs> withered fist? Why, I order? He raised up the sick girl and placed her head where her feet had lain. So he's using the loophole again. Yeah. Then he gave her some of the herb and instantly her cheeks flushed red and life stirred afresh in her. And when death saw that for a second time he was defrauded of his own property, he walked up to the physician with long strides and said, All is over for you, and now the lot falls on you. And he seized him so firmly with his ice-cold hand that he could not resist and led him into a cave below the earth. There, the physician saw how thousands and thousands of candles were burning in countless rows, some large, others half-sized, others small, Every instant some were extinguished and others again burnt up so that the flames seemed to leap here and there in perpetual change. See, these are the lights of men's lives. The large ones belong to children. The half-sized ones to married people in their prime. The little ones belong to old people. But children and young folk likewise have often only a tiny candle. Show me the light of my life, said the physician. And he thought that it would be very tall because he's pretty young still. Sure. Death pointed to a little end which was just threatening to go out and said, Look, there it is. Ah, dear Godfather, said the horrified physician. Light a new one for me. Do it for love of me, that I may enjoy my life, be king and the husband of the king's beautiful daughter. I cannot, answered Death. 
One must go out before a new one is lighted. Uh, then, then place the old one on a new one, that it will go on burning when the old one has come to an end, pleaded the physician. Now Death behaved as if he was going to fulfill his wish and took hold of a tall new candle. But as he desired revenge, he purposefully made a mistake in fixing it and the little piece fell down and was extinguished. Immediately the physician fell on the ground and now he himself was in the hands of Death. Wow. The end. Dark. Yeah. What a tale. I mean, Death was alright. He's alright. He's a right guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he's quite emotional. He got very angry. Well, I feel like he just laid down the ground rules and the guy just ignored him. Yeah. I don't like the idea of the uh, physician like throwing all caution to win because he's got a beautiful patient. <laughs> that seemed a little bit wrong to me. Screw the rules. She's gorgeous. <laughs> not right. That's not right. No, I think he's just, in fact, it's, there's so much promise. He can marry the girl of his dreams and become a king. It's just, all, all he has to do is just flip her over. All he has to do is defy the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Well, didn't pan out, did it? But then the interesting thing there is, if that was his candle, then that was always his candle. So his candle was always short. Right. You know, you can't out... I guess that's the whole point of the story. You can't outrun death. It'll get you in the end. Death's coming for all of us. You can't cheat death. That's essentially the, the story. That is literally what... Yeah. You can't cheat death. He was literally yeah. trying to cheat death. Yeah. But it's also about a, a bit about kings as well as poor people yeah. are all in the hands of death. Is that nice? Yeah, it sort of is. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, in a way. It's, it gives you a bit of perspective. Doesn't death work for the devil? Different well, that, departments. I think the Grimm's specifically have mentioned in their notes that death and the devil are kind of intertwined. Yeah. They've specifically put death with the, the devil in that regard. And they say in the story, they say he turned his back on God. Quite a telling line. He's turned right. his back on God. And basically, the rest are bad options is what they're right. suggesting in the story, I think. Yeah. But anyway, he's a separate entity in this respect. In this story, yeah. Yeah. And he seems quite reasonable. I assume he looks like the Grim Reaper. He sort of strides mm -hmm. along in his withered legs. He's got withered le legs and withered fists. Withered fists. <laughs> like he's shaking his withered fists at him. Yeah. Uh, you didn't certify this Grim. I suppose... Well, I thought nothing it's dark, particularly but horrible it's... happens. Yeah, it's dark. But I think it's... Yeah, I, th I think... You know, kids watch Coco. That's kids about, watch Coco. What uh, happens in Coco? It's about the Mexican Day of the Dead, and they go to the land of the dead. Oh, do they? Yeah, that's a PG. That's for kids. What happens in the land of the dead? People die. People die, and then they go there. And am I going to tell you the story of Coco? Yes, please. <laughs> but yeah, no, I didn't think uh, it, it needed it. It's more a potentially dark message talking about death, but nothing terrible happens in it. So the magic herb. Yeah. So I was a, I was a bit curious about this. What's this? herb that supposedly can just cure all these ill people 
So basically, in the first version of this story that the Brothers Grimm wrote, Death gives him a bottle which has vapours that the person needs to inhale, and uh, he gives them salve to rub on their feet. In the Norwegian version, because there's a few other versions of this story in Europe, and they're all pretty much the same, except the Norwegian one, which is called The Boy with the Ale Keg. It's, It's not about getting a godfather or whatever. It's a boy who's really good at brewing beer, and he's desperate to share his beer with someone. And yeah. he says, God comes along, can I have some beer? No. Devil, same. Uh, and then he gives it to, he drinks with death, because death's great. And death turns the keg of beer into a healing liquid. But basically, in our story, it's a magic herb. Now, this is thought to be one of two herbs which are considered to have magical healing properties. Basil? <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> Vervain. Boba. Which had properties, apparently, which could cure the plague. Wow. Uh, bites of rabid animals. It could even prevent magical attacks. And the Romans... Magical attacks. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be that careful. That was magical. <laughs> and the Romans even had a festival for vervain because they loved it so much. Or, so vervain or number two, could be dittany. Dittany? Which can make stuff leave your body. So apparently, like, if you shoot an arrow into a deer when you're hunting and then the deer eats some dittany, the arrow will come out of its body. Wow. It can also supposedly make poison leave your body and it can make snakes return to their den. So if a snake's coming at you, just give them some dittany, just chuck it at them. And they'll oh, go right. You den. don't feed it to them. No. <laughs> come here. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And in ancient Greece, it was used to heal wounds, ease the pain of childbirth, flavor wine and liqueur and make tasty sauces for fish. Lovely. <laughs> uh, so there are a few different endings to this. Uh, in the very first edition of the Brothers Grimm, it ended just with the physician being shown the life lights of the people on Earth in the cave. It's not clear whether he dies or not. In the second edition, which basically is the same as the following editions, uh, the Grimm's added the conclusion of the physician's candle being put out, while Death's pretending to light a new candle from the old one. The Grimm's took this ending from a story from the author Friedrich Gustav Schilling, which he in turn had taken from folklore. So once again, there's just all these sorts of stories mm. flowing around. They're getting different versions of them. Yeah. So they've written theirs, and then you know another learned man, an author, sends them, or he, he's written one that has that ending, and they like, oh, we like that, so they put it in the Grimm story. Yeah. Now, when the man turns his back on God at the beginning, he says, you know, you take from the poor and give to the rich, and leave the poor hungry, and it then says... He did not know how wisely God apportions riches and poverty. This was added by the Brothers Grimm to right. make it less sort of dangerous and critical of, yeah. of God. It's like he didn't understand. Yeah. He's like, no, yeah. no, no, he's just an idiot. He doesn't understand yeah, how yeah. wise God is with his apportion of uh, misery. So that's a really clear stamp of the Brothers Grimm yeah, yeah. with their Christian agenda. Sure. The Grimm's got this version from Hess from a source, Marie Elizabeth Wilde. The story itself can be dated as far back as 1553. Mm. That's the first recording of it, okay. which was a folk song, a popular song people would sing of, uh, yeah, someone choosing a godfather amongst celestial beings. Now, the idea of life being represented by a flame or a candle can be traced back to Greek mythology. And we still have it in use today, the idea of the flame of life. We say burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. And also to snuff out. You snuff out a candle, you ah. snuff out a life. Now, most interestingly of all, as you pointed out, we have come across death, a new character. <laughs> in the franchise, yep. We've had God and the devil before in um, The Girl Without Hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now we've got death. 
So I've had a little look into the history of the personification of death in yeah. Western culture. Okay. Indulge me, please. Now, the first thing I think of when I think of death as a character is uh, in the Discworld novels. I don't know if you come across them, Terry Pratchett. No. So it's the classic death, right? It's the skeleton with the hood and the scythe. And he comes and takes away the living yeah. Grim Reaper. Exactly. Um, that lineage can be traced back to the 15th century, quite specifically to a now lost painting from the Holy Innocent Cemetery in Paris in 1424. Mm. It was in this cemetery that the depiction of death as an animated skeleton started the dance macabre, or dance of death. Ooh. It was a medieval artistic movement around the idea of death as the great leveller. And right. we started to see these images of dancing skeletons, people dancing with the living. But going further back first, in ancient Greece, Thanatos was the god of death. He was the brother of Hypnos, who was the god of sleep and he shepherded the dead to Hades. He's often depicted not as a withered skull man, but as a young winged man with an upturned torch representing extinguished life. But he could also be represented as a woman. In Norse mythology, it's even more associated. Death is more associated with the feminine over the masculine. Hmm. You have the goddess Hel, H-E-L, who receives a portion of the dead. The goddess Freya receives some of the dead in her special field, afterlife field that she owns. Special field. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you also have the Valkyries, who Ooh. were the beautiful, heroic women riding around on horses. They went around battlefields and uh, decided which soldiers should die in battle. Or which shoulders. <laughs> yeah, that's quite exciting. So, so that d- yeah. Ride of the Valkyries, then, that's what yeah. that piece of music is dun, based dun, 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 on. Is that Ride of the Valkyries? Dun, 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 Wagner, yeah. Yeah, that's the Valkyries riding around looking for which Norse soldiers they're taking with them. Death got a bad rep, though, and became distinctly unfeminine under Christianity. So death is uh, one of the four terrifying horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, what are the other three? It's uh, the other other horsemen are war, famine, and pestilence, I think. What was the first one? War. Oh, war. Uh, so yeah, it's got a, it's, it's it's become terrifying and horrible, and uh, death's associated with sin and hell, and fire and brimstone. But unlike the ancient world of the Greeks, death had become more of an idea than a personification of a person. Right. And it's interesting, as you say, like you you thought death is associated with the devil. Yeah. You didn't associate death with God, even though you know you go to heaven as well. Death got in the Christianity got a very sort of dark, nasty, horrible yeah. image. Now, thanks to the plague in the 14th century, uh, the dance macabre was born in France, where death was revitalized in humanesque form. So we now have images of death as a, as a physical being, as a skeleton. Uh, this may be connected to the Valley of the Dry Bones in the Book of Ezekiel. Uh, it's also perhaps to do with the plague. You could be infected by a dead body. The dead were suddenly dangerous to the living. Yeah. Bernd Notzk, uh, I don't really know how to pronounce that, his famous painting, The Dance Macabre, and Hans Holbein the Younger's etchings are the most famous examples of the dance macabre, where you have these hooded skeletons, sometimes with a scythe, dancing with the living, or attacking them, or wow. taking, escorting them. Uh, and the skeletons would take away priests and royalty, as well as commoners. So the idea was they were, kind of, they were a little bit subversive as well. They were showing the earthly goods and whatever don't really mean anything in the face of death. Sure. Uh, so these were these were made around yeah in the 15th century on the back of the plague and the reformation going on in Europe. So mm-hmm. 
huge bloodshed going on yeah. everywhere. This was a time when the Catholic order was being threatened as well by the Reformation. You have these quite striking images of the dance macabre popping up. His, costu- his dark costume and curved scythe may also have been inspired by plague doctors who wore dark shrouds and bird-like masks to keep themselves from infecting Oh, the... interesting. So where you see them in like Venice or whatever, that's plague doctors? Possibly, yeah. I, I don't know. We should look mm. into that. Yeah, because they have that in the festival in Venice, don't they? They yeah. wear all those crazy masks. So yeah, basically death is depicted in various ways from Thanatos to hell to Marzana in Slavic folklore, who's also a female deity representing death and rebirth. Uh, right through to the dance macabre, whose animated skeleton taking away the living has survived and thrived to this present day. That's now the image that we have yeah. of this skeletal figure harvesting the souls of the living with his scythe. Yeah, that's immediately what came to my mind. That's what you see, that. isn't it? Yeah, when exactly. You, when you read death. Yeah. It's even stronger, that image today, probably than back then. You know, you have it at the Day of the Dead. And in movies, you know, like the Seventh Seal and the Discworld novels, as I was talking about, this is yep. a really strong image, probably throughout the world now, not just I in Western so. culture. Yeah. We also, in the, the youth who went forth to learn what fear was, we had some skeletons, didn't we? And, we did. and uh, we'll definitely be having some more dancing skeletons in the Grim, I think. Oh, and we'll also so. be seeing death again in the future. Oh. He'll be making a comeback. <laughs> He's sticking around. So nice. that's, that's a little uh, history of Personification of death. (laughs) It's a nice cheery topic. (laughs) Sleep tight. death do you i really like i really like I, I just find it fascinating i really like the whole god and the devil and death making their pitches to this guy yeah and and this idea of death as a symbol of equality dates back to that the dance of death dance macabre and i think that's quite a nice an interesting idea true and the the way he turns from god i think he he specifically to be his godfather well, yeah, he's got it's God in the, the name, title, and he's yeah. like, actually, I've thought about it, God, and I'm not having it. So it's quite a strong thing to have in a folktale. And obviously the, the Brothers Grimm tried to sanitize it a bit by saying he didn't understand how wisely God apportions... And thus he turned his back. Yeah. On, yeah. But originally, the folk without that, it's actually quite, quite strong. It is. And, and also, who is the godparents for the other 12 kids? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Just Janet from next door. Yeah, just use her again. <laughs> Um, but doesn't have a nice message does it Uh, depends how you look at it I suppose at least in this story the guy's greed is punished because usually being like being greedy I don't know it's not always rewarded but you get rewarded by getting the goods getting rich yeah but in this story it's like actually all that doesn't matter yeah, yeah, because so, he's going to get you in the end, and his greed is actually his downfall. So, so it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not a happy ending. It's not. No, but certainly after the last episode, it feels like positively upbeat. <laughs> after <laughs> the crazy uh, stuff happening in the castle. gudgeons, gudgeons. Ooh, <laughs> hmm. So this has got me thinking. What what score am I going to give it? Hmm. I think we're going to diverge on this one. 
I have that feeling as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give this a six. A six, okay. Were you so that's a anticipating pos- it being around there? I thought you might give it lower. Do you know what? I might. Well, <laughs> talk to me. What's your... What, 5.5. Um, you're not... You weren't taken by this story. Well, I enjoyed it, for sure. Okay. Um, Is it the message put you off? You can't quite put your finger on it, mate. No, I can't quite put my finger on it. It's a difficult one. I like the fact you found a loophole. That was quite cool. I think maybe the last story we had was such a big adventure with so much going on. Yeah, this feels this, mm. a bit simplistic, maybe. Yeah, it's not as... Uh, Whoa! Like epic. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it's a story about death being a godfather, but he's not the villain. Like the guy, it's his greed that's his. Are you looking to find a villain and a good guy? Well, not quite, but I feel like actually death laid out the ground rules. Yeah. And stuck to them and actually didn't deceive anyone. He actually let his god turn off a little bit yeah. when he first cheated. He showed him. leniency. So. That's why I like him as a character, because he's not, he's not bad or good, necessarily. He just has a job to do. Yeah. It's a neutral thing. It's no more associated with good and God than the devil and bad. So, it's just a thing that happens. So he's a really cool, interesting character, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he gets up to next. Oh. <laughs> so, that makes me think you're going to score it quite highly. What, what, are you, what have you given it, then? 5.5. 5.5, Okay. So this is interesting. This will be our first big divergence then, because I absolutely love this story. Oh, okay. When I first read it, I was yeah, bowled me over. I really liked it. I love that uh, bargain at the beginning. That sort of deciding on the Godfather. I like the whole standing at the foot and the head of the yeah. bed. And then I like how I like he gets dragged to the cave below. And I like how he sa- in saving the king, he's sort of used up his only bit of leniency. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, actually, no, it's the I daughter. I needed it now. Yeah. This story, yeah, really struck a chord with me. I okay. liked it. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to give it an eight. Whoa, that's high. It is high, yeah. I really like it. It's like a sort of new perspective on things that happen within the stories. Because usually it's, yeah, maybe a good guy, bad guy, uh, adventure or a moral. And this is actually like, whoa, above all of that yeah. is this figure of death. Yeah. And actually all of that is kind of nonsense or ephemeral yeah. in the face of death. Wow. Yeah. You got deep on that story. Whoa. Did I? <laughs> no, I like it. That's, got me that's, thinking. That's good. Eight. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's Ooh. probably the biggest score difference to date. I'd it say. definitely is. I've been waiting for a, bit, a score difference. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've been far too uh, agreeable, I think. So as we mentioned last week, we're running a bit of a, what is it? It's not a competition. We're we're running a poll for you guys, for the audience, the listener, to choose one of the next stories. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So we've, uh, as we mentioned before, we've got a short list of stories that we want you to choose from. uh, And that short list is the following three stories. Rapunzel, The Elves and the Shoemaker, and The Robber Bridegroom. (whistles) So we want you to choose... If you haven't already, from one of those three, what story you most want to hear and the one with the most votes will be one of the next stories that we read out on the podcast. Email us, message us. Uh, Twitter poll, Instagram comments, Facebook comments, anything. Just get in touch. Yeah, and let us know which of those you want to hear. Yeah, sound. Next up, 
The knapsack, the hat, and the horn. And the horn. Oh, yes. I can't wait for this one. This sounds like a jolly old treat. Knapsack, hat, and horn. I, uh, no, I'm not going to give any. I'm not going to say anything. What do you think those items represent? Uh, they're just best buds. And okay. So they're alive. Have... The knapsack is alive. And yeah. the horn. And the, okay. hat, the knapsack just chatting to the horn. Yeah. Horn's a cheeky fella. Knapsack's reliable. Mm-mm. The hat is, I uh, don't know. Just a good good guy. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm going to remind you of this uh, next week. <laughs> See you then. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You can email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod. Also on Instagram and Facebook, grimreading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading. And we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim.